Hi, I'm Jonathan Edwards, and I want to welcome you to the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. My goal in this podcast is to teach the truth of the Word of God and apply it to our lives that our orthopraxy might be as good as our orthodoxy. May you be blessed. All right, coming to you again from Northwest Ohio on the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. We are entering officially week three of the COVID-19 or coronavirus shutdown that has affected really the United States and much of the world. And I want to talk to you about something that's pretty personal today. Um, Perhaps you would find that it's personal for you too. But the title of today's message is Anger and the Coronavirus. And I think there's a lot of people who have anxiety. I've seen a lot of posts and uh, messages about anxiety and worry. But personally, anxiety is not really something that I regularly struggle with. It's not something that comes to my mind, anxiety. But anger, anger is something that comes to my mind. Anger is one of those sins that I think... um, You know, we all have the sins that we tend to do more than others. Anger is one of those sins that I tend to do more than others. Why do I get angry? That's a good question. I suppose that when things happen that I think are unjust, that I see to be in error, or that violate God's truth, um my response is to get angry about those things because it frustrates me when things are not just and fair. I get angry rather than anxious. I I don't really worry about those uncontrollable things that happen to me in the future, but I just get really angry at the people and the situations that cause what I consider to be unnecessary or needless suffering. Now, maybe you're like me. Maybe you're not like me. Hopefully, you're not like me in this way. Hopefully, you've got anger under control, but I don't think so. I think there's a lot of people who are angry about the current situation that we're facing. Maybe you're angry and you're also anxious. Um, It's been hard, even as a pastor, to sort out all the various thoughts and responses that we are to have to this crisis. And it's not because I don't know what the Word of God says, and I don't think for you it's that you don't know what the Word of God says. But I think in a lot of ways we are being asked to apply theology in a way that is very different from how we've had to apply theology before. Um, What I mean by that is when we talk about suffering or uh, troubles— for many Americans, we, we are experiencing troubles that we haven't had before. We're really powerless to change our circumstances, and this is a very un-American way of living and thinking. Now, granted, the sufferings that we face as Americans are, are far less than what other brethren around the world um, are experiencing right now, and, and we need to be very cognizant of that. We need to recognize that our sufferings are are not nearly as severe as the sufferings of some of our brothers and sisters around the world. So I don't want to be 
ethnocentric in how I look at suffering. But I think for the American church, you know, we, we have a culture that says um, we should suffer, we should bear up underneath sufferings. We talk about it as a future reality, like someday we might have to suffer. There might come a time, a point in time in the future. And I think right now is, is that time. Again, our sufferings aren't that bad comparatively, but this is very jarring and very difficult to basically rearrange the way that you've done life for many years. Uh, this is a new reality that we are all living in. And it's difficult to just untangle all of the emotions, all of the fears, all of the frustrations. Um, it's difficult to untangle all of those things and apply the Word of God to them. And as I have already mentioned, for me, when I see what's going on in regards to this virus, um, my response, my primary response is to get angry, to get angry over things that... Um, I can't control to get angry over certain people and the actions that they're taking. And I, I just wanted to share my heart with you. I made a list. I've actually got nine things on here. I, I made myself stop because <laughs> I could have kept going. But I have nine, nine things that I'm really angry about. And it's hard to deal with these things that cause anger because many of them are recurring. And... I made this list. I wanted to share it with you, but I also want to share with you some words uh, from the Bible that will help us and have helped me deal with this anger. So let me just share this with you. First thing, I, I'm really angry about how this microscopic virus has basically ground to a halt all the plans that I and many other people have made. Like it, that doesn't seem fair. Like, why should this virus stop me from doing things that I've already planned to do? The, I understand the science behind it. I understand the importance of flattening the curve, but that doesn't make it less true that I've had to quit plans, that I have friends who have had to cancel vacations and also cancel other plans. This microscopic virus has upset these plans. Another thing I'm angry about, a second thing, the federal government decided that they should lock everybody down or they recommended social distancing. And because of that, a lot of people have lost their jobs. And so the federal government then said, well, we're going to provide relief in the form of a $2.2 trillion stimulus package. It's really a relief bill. I think it's called the CARES Act. So let me get this straight. The federal government's saying, don't go to work. The federal government's also saying, we'll pay you and we'll pay these companies. Well, where does that money come from? Basically, the federal government has decided that they're going to borrow from my, my income for the rest of my life and the income of my children probably for the rest of their lives and maybe our, our grandchildren. And so we just added basically 10% of the national debt. Okay, so our national debt is $22 trillion. We just borrowed 10% of that in a week and spent it to try to deal with this crisis. That is really frustrating to me. I don't think that we should go into debt. I think we should deal with the crisis uh, without going into debt or try to as much as possible. And so to me, that's a source of anger and frustration. 
in relation to that, there are politicians on both sides of the aisles who want to accomplish their wish list, their uh, political agenda. They want to accomplish their political agenda at this at the expense of helping Americans who are in need. And this is very frustrating to me. I find the mainstream media's criticism of the president and his team to be insufferable. Um, if you follow the news, I tend to follow the news. It's one of my hobbies. Um, a little over a month ago, maybe at the end of January, early February, when President Trump enacted a ban on all citizens traveling from China, the media said that he was being xenophobic. And now uh, they're saying, well, you didn't do enough to prevent the spread of this virus. You didn't take it seriously enough. I, I just can't stand the talking out of both sides of your mouth, the trying to have it both ways. Either, either he did something wrong or he did something right. Just say what the right thing is, but don't call a right action wrong and a wrong action right. I I cannot tolerate the mainstream media's constant criticism of the president. Everything he does is second-guessed. And the fact of the matter is there are many governors who are taking the exact same actions as the president and his team, and those governors are not getting hammered in the media. It's very one-sided, it's very unfair, and it makes me upset. A fifth reason that I'm angry this is a difficult time for all of us. We are out of our normal routines. We've had to refigure out life. And that's stressful. There's a lot of added pressure. And as a result of that, I personally have not acted as gentle or compassionate with my children as I should. And that angers me that my response isn't better. That's frustrating to me. Along with that, I'm angry uh, because I've become more easily frustrated and little things have bothered me more now than they did uh, six weeks ago. So I am, I am angry about being angry, if that makes any sense to you. Perhaps it does. A seventh reason that I'm angry. My focus in many of these things that I've shared with you thus far has been on myself and what I want rather than on being selfless and serving others. And I know that's not the right attitude to have. Now, there have been times when I've served others, times that I've been selfless, but when I think about what we're going through, I'm most frustrated and I'm angry that the things that I want to do, I'm just not able to do. Why is that my response? Why is my focus on self and not others? You know, I don't have the answer to that, but that's one of the things that I need to do better at. I'll move back to something that's somewhat political. Number eight, I'm angry that the U.S. economy, which is in the process of being destroyed, uh, may never come back, and with it, our comfortable way of life. As much as I want to think that I would you know, endure suffering by living um, very simply without modern conveniences. I really like the modern conveniences, and I know many of you do too. And it's, it's really, it's really eye-opening to me 
that one of the things um, that I'm angry about is that we may not return to the same standard of living that we've been accustomed to. And, and we are the richest people in the world, probably in the history of the world, because of how great America is and how well capitalism has worked for our country to lift literally hundreds of millions of people out of poverty in our country and hundreds and millions, if not billions of people out of poverty around the world. So if the U.S. economy becomes destroyed, I may not be able to continue enjoying this comfortable way of life. And, and to be honest, that bothers me. I'm angry about that. Why? I don't know. Probably, again, because I'm selfish. But I'm just being honest. Number nine, I'm, I'm angry at the failure of people to understand and look at objective truth. I'm angry that people um, will nitpick and criticize others uh, without examining any nuance of argument, without giving people the benefit of the doubt or understanding that what we're going through is a developing situation where we don't have all the data, where we have incomplete facts. We don't base anything in our culture upon objective truth any longer. And so here we are in the midst of a crisis, and we can't even agree on what's true. And that just introduces further pandemonium and chaos into what is already a difficult and challenging time. People look at things from their own myopic viewpoint. And you may say, well, you're a Christian. You're just looking at things from your myopic viewpoint. Now, okay, maybe, maybe. But I happen to believe that the Bible uh, is God's only true revelation to humanity, and it alone contains absolute truth. And the Bible provides answers and solutions for how to think and live during times of plenty and times of crisis. Now, again, I'm confessing to you that I'm not doing the greatest of job at that. Maybe you're not doing the greatest job either. But I'm angry at the failure of people to even acknowledge and recognize that objective truth exists and that we should just speak what is objectively true. It showed me, as I've watched different Facebook posts or uh, Twitter posts or listened to different news outlets, that postmodernist type thinking is terrible for managing a crisis. Postmodernism allows you to believe that whatever your reality is, is true truth. And that's just not right. But if you approach a crisis with a mentality to accept and promote subjective truth, you're going to have a very difficult time managing the crisis. You're not going to be able to see all the different facets of what's going on. You won't be able to criticize correctly or to give praise when praise is due because you're seeing only things from your objectively true perspective. I'm sorry, I said that wrong. You're seeing things only from your subjectively true perspective. You're not able to go outside of yourself and examine from an objective external perspective. 
These are nine reasons that I'm angry right now. I could probably come up with some more, and maybe you could come up with some too. We could all get together and have a big, giant, whining and moaning and complaining session about all these things that make us angry. And I see some people doing that on social media. I see some people doing that on the uh, news programs and national media that I watch. But that that's not really helpful. So the question that I have to ask myself, and the one that I've been asking myself for the last four or five days as I've thought about this particular topic, is what do I do with all this anger? How should I think about all this anger in light of the Word of God? See, there are things that are going to cause us to become angry, things that are outside of our control. I looked at this list. I think six out of the nine of the things on this list are outside of my control. I can't do anything about them. I mean, yeah, I wrote my senators to ask them to vote no, but that didn't that didn't really work. I mean, you kind of feel like when you write your senator or your congressperson, you kind of feel like it just falls on deaf ears. So, yeah, six of the nine of these issues are really outside my control. I can't do anything about them. And yet, they produce in me anger. But what does the Bible say I should do about that? What does God say I should do? regarding my anger. I spent some time just looking at the Word of God and trying to think about this. And I have uh, four things here. Four things that will help me deal with anger. These are biblical realities. And when I think about life and the difficult situations that we're in as a country, as a world, Um, When I go back to objective truth, it really calms my heart. And it helps me to put my anger in its right place and to show me that it's, it's really sinful to have a angry response towards all of these things that are outside of my control. And it's somewhat angry, it's somewhat sinful to have an angry response towards things that are inside my control. Because instead of being angry, I should be humble. And I should be asking for forgiveness and for the Holy Spirit to fill me so that I don't practice these things. So let me give you some biblical truths that have helped me to deal with anger, and I hope that they will help you as well. The first, I think, is really, really humbling. And it is this, that my anger does not reflect the character and attitude of God. My anger does not reflect the character and attitude of God. Listen to what David writes in Psalm 86, 15. But you, O God, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness and truth. In Exodus chapter 34, Moses spoke nearly the exact same words to describe Yahweh. When Yahweh was ready to destroy the nation of Israel for creating the golden calf while Moses was up on Mount Sinai receiving the law. You know, my personal anger 
my anger does not reflect the character and attitude of God. What is God? He's merciful, he's gracious, and he's slow to anger. And he's abundant in loving kindness and in truth. Well, that, that is really humbling to know that my anger does not reflect the character and attitude of God. Lord, help me. Help me to be like you by being slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. A second thing from the Word of God that helps me to deal with my anger is that I have to realize God is in sovereign control and I'm not in control. I already mentioned this, but six of the nine items on my list are totally outside my control. So if I can't really do anything about them, I have to entrust God to do something about them. God is still on his throne. God hasn't left. God's not on vacation. He's totally aware of this virus and this pandemic that's crippling the entire world. It's really bringing the entire world to a halt. Listen to what David writes in Psalm 11. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold and his eyelids tests the son of men. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked and the one who loves violence his soul hates. No matter what, God is on his throne. And I can't control these things, but God can. Listen to the testimony of King Nebuchadnezzar from Daniel chapter 4. At the end of that period, a seven-year period, by the way, where Nebuchadnezzar went from being the king of Babylon to wandering around the fields like a cow. At the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High God, and I praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. Hey, is America going to endure from generation to generation? Eh, maybe, if God wants it to. But it's not guaranteed to. What is guaranteed to endure? God's kingdom. What's guaranteed to be around forever? God's dominion. Look at verse 35 of Daniel chapter 4. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among all the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? You see, it's really sinful for me to look at this list and, and, and become angry over all these things that are outside of my control, because what it does is it really impugns God. It's basically saying, God, you're, you're unjust. What have you done, God? Why have you done this? So many people are hurting. So many people are suffering. What does Nebuchadnezzar say? Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in Daniel 4.35, no one can ward off God's hand or even say to him, what have you done? Now, the Apostle Paul makes an even bolder statement in Romans chapter 9, where God is revealed to be a just and merciful God 
and he is revealed to be a God who will extend mercy to whom he wants to extend mercy and to harden those whom he wants to harden. And Paul says, here's the objection of every person. Why does God find fault if he has mercy on whom he has mercy and he hardens who he hardens? For who resists the will of God? Well, that's a great question. Let's try to pin the blame on God. That's verse 19 of Romans chapter 9. Let's pin the blame on God. Why does God find fault when he makes me do something? Paul says, you're not even even asking the right question. You have it totally backwards. We're so puny, so insignificant, so weak, so frail. Look at what he says, verse 20. On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? We don't even have, according to Paul and the Holy Spirit who inspired this, we don't even have the right to ask God the question, why did you make me like this? Why did you cause this to happen? We don't have that right. Because we are the creature. We are the creation. God and God alone is the creator. He's totally independent. He exists outside of us. He doesn't even need us, but for his good pleasure, he decided to create us. And for his ultimate glory, he has called us to be his own. And whether you are called to salvation or whether you will ultimately suffer condemnation, God receives the glory either way. And because God is holy and perfect, it's not sin. It's not sin that God decides to have mercy on some and to harden others. So when I look at my list and I see that six of the nine items are totally outside of my control, why should I become angry at that? Rather, I should praise God and say, God, you are the sovereign one. You are on your throne. You are in control. Let me, Father God, worship you. Let me worship you, Lord Jesus. Let me pray that the Holy Spirit would be sent forth to convict the hearts of men and, and take those hearts that are stone and turn them into hearts that are flesh so that some might get saved. Why isn't that my attitude? It's because secretly I want to be in control. And I bet you do too. We want to be in control. And so we are upset. We are angry when we are not in control. And we have to acknowledge that God is sovereign. A third biblical truth that has helped me to deal with anger is this. God will bring justice and judgment at the right time. God's judgment will be perfect, for he is holy, and God's judgment will be better than any judgment that I could possibly imagine or execute. You know, it's frustrating 
And it makes you angry when wicked people get away with saying wicked things. When wicked people mock Christians and when wicked people mock those who are doing what's right, it is frustrating and irritating. But God says that he one day will judge. And man, I wish it was today. (laughs) But I'm glad it's not today. I'm glad I'm not under that type of judgment because I would be found lacking and I would be found needing to be on the receiving end of the punishment. God is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He doesn't want any to perish, but he wants all to come to eternal life. And though God and his patience will one day run out and he will decide to judge until that time. Until that time, God wants people to become saved. And God is able to withhold his hand of judgment at the present time so that some might come to know Jesus Christ, his son, and the only savior who could possibly save men from the penalty Of their sins. Psalm 9, 7 and 8 says this, But the Lord abides forever. He has established his throne for judgment, and he will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the peoples with equity. God will judge fairly and perfectly all the peoples of the world. Another truth that has challenged my heart is this from Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. What am I doing to be at peace with all men? Is it peaceful or peace-inducing? of me to send salty or inflammatory social media messages? I understand that's how the world communicates, but is that really helping to bring peace about? You know, if somebody is insulting to you, if somebody's insulting to you, is the best thing to do to insult them back to gain peace? You could just go for the bigger insult. What, to shut them up? No, it's just all self-satisfying to make you feel good. What am I doing to be at peace with all men? I'm, I'm just biting my tongue, personally. I'm trying to bite my tongue. There are things that I see posted on Facebook or Twitter or that I hear, and I, I would love to respond. And I would just be like, ah, I got the perfect response. I'll get you with this. Man, that's not going to bring about change. That's going to make me feel good for about three seconds. And it's going to get me into then a a social media war that I don't really want to be involved in or have time to deal with. And really, it's not going to change somebody's mind because, because we are myopic. We live in an echo chamber. And we don't look at objective truth. We look at subjective truth. So you know what? I just need to trust God. God will bring justice and judgment at the right time. 
a fourth truth from the Word of God that helps me deal with my anger. Being consumed or blinded by anger does not help me grow in sanctification or Christ-likeness. This is probably the most shameful one of all, or maybe I should say the most shame-inducing one, the one that I could be most embarrassed about, that when I become angry, that doesn't, that doesn't help me grow in sanctification. That doesn't help me demonstrate Christ-likeness to my wife or to my children. James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, a verse many of you know, a verse I know well and have memorized. This you know, my beloved brethren, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. My anger will not, will not bring about righteous living. It, it won't. It just will not result in that. Obviously, my goal as a Christian and yours as well is to be righteous like God is righteous. To be holy because God is holy. And if my anger prevents me from living the righteous life that God desires, I need to humbly repent, confess, and turn away from my anger. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The old man is gone. The, the old man is gone. I need to, therefore, crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. I need to put aside anger because that's, that is how the old man responds to things. That is a pattern of the sinful flesh. That's what I want to do in my, in my sinfulness. Not because not because it's glorifying to God, but because it feels good to me. And I need to remember to whom I belong. I belong to Christ Jesus. And therefore, I've crucified the flesh, but I need to live like it's crucified. I need to walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. Now you may listen to all this and say, I agree with that, but what about that one verse that says, be angry and do not sin? That's a good question. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, Paul writes this, Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Is there a righteous anger? Sure there is. Sure, there's a righteous anger. I, I, but I can tell you this, I'm not sure how to control that righteous anger. It's very, very difficult to draw the line of my anger is righteous and then all of a sudden my anger crosses over to be unrighteous, to become sinful. I would imagine that many of us as Christians, maybe we don't want to confront this or admit this, but we allow ourselves to be angry and because we're angry about a sin issue, we think, oh, this is a righteous anger. It's okay for me to be angry. But the things that we do when we are angry, like I talked about in my nine things, 
you're not acting gentle or compassionate. You're being self-centered and self-interested. Uh, you become more easily frustrated. Those types of things, as a result of being angry, even if it's righteous, those are sin. Those are sinful responses to even righteous anger. So, yeah, we can have righteous anger, but it's very difficult to keep it at that level. So when we find ourselves becoming angry, the best thing to do is just to confess it to God and say, God, I'm, I'm becoming angry about the situation. I don't want to sin. Why does Paul command us to not let the sun go down on our anger? Because if the sun goes down on our anger, that's not saying don't go to bed angry, although that's, I think, a, a real direct application. It's mean resolve the anger quickly. Don't let the anger linger for days and days and days and days so that it builds up to a to a deep-seated bitterness. What's immediately connected with not letting the sun go down on your anger? Verse 27, do not give the devil an opportunity. You think the devil doesn't like the fact that Christians are angry? He loves it because it's an opportunity for him to get Christians to do things that are unchristlike, that are not godly, not honoring to God. And it brings ill repute upon the name of Jesus. So yeah, okay, fine. Quote this verse to me, be angry and do not sin. But you better, if you're going to be angry and do not sin, you better resolve that anger real quick. Because if you don't, you're going to allow the devil an opportunity to get into your life. And you don't really want that. You don't want that. He's already prowling about looking for somebody to destroy. We know from later in Ephesians chapter 6 that we're fighting a spiritual battle and the devil is throwing flaming arrows at us. Not throwing, flinging, shooting flaming arrows at us. Don't give the devil an opportunity. Well, I understand that the content of this podcast was really personal, but you know, I, I thought to myself, I've been I've been really thinking about these things for like the last six or seven days. And I thought, if I'm thinking about these things, I bet I bet some of you are too. And I hope that you find it encouraging that we're in this together. These responses to the virus. Uh, whether it's anxiety or anger, uh, those are those are natural responses. But the way we deal with them has to be supernatural through the Word of God. And I want you to be encouraged. Think through these four aspects of how the Bible teaches us to think about anger, to think about God. That way, when we're tempted to become angry, we can go back to the Word of God and we can ground ourselves in objective truth. And we can be confident that if we take every thought captive, God will deliver us from the sin. We can say no to it. We can resist the temptation. May this podcast find you well. Share it with somebody who needs it. I would highly encourage that. May you be blessed as you continue to serve the Lord. 